Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez. Uh, and You almost said I, you were our host, Ann Stickney, didn't you? I almost did because I miss Ann. I miss Ann so much already. Uh, but with me is Matt Rossi, the other lore aficionado. Uh, and yeah, how you doing today? I'm doing okay. Uh, I'm, you know, getting past the whole Christmas thing. I finally got a couple of games for Christmas I've been wanting to play for a long time. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn and God of War. I haven't played God of War yet. I haven't even touched it. I've just oh. been playing Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah, it was God of War was I think was one of my favorite games last year just because of how they reinvented the, the like that everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I played a little tiny bit of it. I got up to a certain fight and I just tanked it. And I was like, yeah, I can't really focus on two games at once. So I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna finish Zero Dawn and then I'll come back and I can unlearn the Zero Dawn mechanics and relearn. It's like when you play World of Warcraft and then you try switching to another MMO and you try playing World of Warcraft on it. Yeah. Like, I do that all the time. <laughs> yeah, same same thing. I, spent, like, like, I was going to say, I have to focus on one game at a time because my brain can't switch. That not. I keep trying to play, like, when I was playing, um, uh, which one was it? Uh, I think it was, it was Knights of the Old Republic. Not Knights, but just, you know, Star Wars The Old Republic. Mm-hmm. I kept trying to play that because it, it looks a lot like Burning Crusade, so I kept trying to play it like Burning Crusade, and I was like, oh, wait, no, it's not the same game. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> I kinda, and I still, I still have... That's the biggest problem I had with WoW Classic, and I know that this is a lore game, so we should move on, but um, the biggest problem I had with WoW Classic was that I remember how to play WoW Classic. Yes. But not specifically patch 1.12. Yeah, and, and like, for, for anybody who didn't play back then, things changed real frequently, so you you had to adjust, and like it was patch-specific with what you did and how you played your classes. It was... Can it I was a much rank? different world. Oh, God, downrank. Do, do I downrank heals? Yeah, <laughs> so... I was playing a paladin oh. on the beta, and I was like, "Oh God, I don't know what I'm doing at all." Oh man! All right. Well, I mean, we're going to talk about some lore stuff, and today I have a bunch of questions for us. Uh, I actually went through the Discord, something that we've been encouraging people to talk to us in, and and you know, give us some questions. So I pulled some out of there. So there you go, folks. If you put your questions in there, I'm actually paying attention. Uh, the first one is going to be coming from Wyatt. Uh, cue for the podcast. Uh, it, it, is it clear outside of a small number of very specific instances that our characters are ever actually die? I've always assumed that the whole death mechanic is simply the practical aspect of a game in which we die. A lot. Other major lore characters don't just come back. Liam is dead. Sylvanas, outside of her relationship with the Valkyr, was not going to come back. Gul'dan is just dead. I'm assuming that lore-wise, we basically just never die. That's an interesting That's an one. interesting question. Because I think Shadowlands is shaking this up. I think so too, yeah. Um, one of the assumptions, based on a few things that were dropped at BlizzCon and a few things that have been said since, is that the reason we come back from death when we die is because the spirit healers are specifically doing it. And they've been specifically doing it on the Arbiter's orders this whole time. And it's quite possible the reason the Arbiter decided that was for this moment. Yeah, that the inter- Go ahead. I was going to say, the interesting thing about that to me, though, too, and I think the point that Wyatt's making is, outside of us, like, when a lore character dies, when a major NPC dies, they tend to stay dead for the most part. I mean, yeah, with some, with some exceptions. Yeah. The implication is that the Arbiter is using us as a backdoor around everything that's been going on this whole time with the, you know, the Jailer and Sylvanas. And before that, the Arbiter picked us out and said, no, this one's going to be important. This so it's not done, so which do is you, terrifying to think about. Oh, yeah. No, it's super terrifying. But, I mean, I guess the question that I have with, uh, or extrapolating from that is with lore characters that have come back or I think actually the only one that really has come back from death is Vol'jin at this point. How do you think no, that's going to play? No, he's still dead. Vol'jin's still dead. He, well, he's okay, just, he's dead. He's trans, his spirit has transformed. You know who's the only character who did come back from death? Hmm. Varian, when his son raised him. Interesting. And that was back in Cataclysm. And obviously Varian's dead now. Um, dead for good. Dead body blown into ash. But that's like the only time I can think of a canonical resurrection. Other than like weird ones. Uh, there's the one that you do as a paladin. If you're a blood knight. I think any paladin got the quest. But I just remember doing it on my blood knight. Where you took like this 
chalice of pure light that's been drained from uh, Muru, and you go find a dead guy and you pull him back from death. And I think that was implied to be like he was dead, but not quite all the way dead. He hadn't moved on yet. He was he was mostly dead. Yeah, and I think the same thing with Varian. It was implied that Varian was dead, but he was like it was like for a few seconds, like he hadn't gotten a chance to move on yet. And the thing with us is, if you look at it in game, I'm always drawn back to that. I'm, I'm going to channel Anne here, and uh, I think this entire episode is going to be us remembering Anne. So just get used to it. Then. <laughs> um, the 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 time when when the Zergos had that quest um, with the spirit healer that he was in love with, which you know is one of those quests you should go back and do because it talks a lot about the whole spirit healers, the whole line between life and death. The the the, the it's like the Shadowlands has a shallows. Mm-hmm. for lack of a better word uh you know and i think this is all going to come together but i think in terms of most of the time in game up until this point it's always just been assumed that you didn't actually die and i think shadowlands might change that or might kind of say you know all those times you thought you weren't you hadn't really died you totally did but you know they spirit healers put you back because you had to be here for this reason so um i i, I I was going to say, I'm hoping that Shadowlands shakes that up a little bit. I've always said, like, I had this weird thing way, way, way back in the day where I always wondered why player characters had Hearthstones, but NPCs never did. And I always wondered if that was a way of the world anchoring us to... This is before we knew anything about Shadowlands or the Spirit Healers or anything like that. And I always wondered uh, if that game mechanic was explainable as a way that it anchored us to Azeroth in a way that we could not like officially die die um, because there are a lot of like weird little things like that in game where players have things that NPCs don't you know Hearthstones yeah. Im- immortal immortal souls or things of that nature um, except Illidan apparently Illidan has an immortal soul but I'll be interested to see how Shadowlands shakes that up or extrapolates on that and sort of shakes the foundation of what we've sort of known for all these years one thing they do in Shadowlands that's really fun. I was when I did the beta for it, uh, and I I deliberately, I'll just admit this. I deliberately rode myself off a cliff, essentially <laughs> off of a height, and dropped myself to die, to see what would happen. And what happens is, you get taken like this this extremely bright, weird special effect, and it kind of like it reminds me of time warp going off, not bloodlust specifically, like time warp. The chime. And you're, the, not the chime, it's just the whole bang bit. Okay. It, it's just, but it wasn't quite the same. If You'd have to see it. I'm sure they have videos of it online. Um, but I remember it being very distinctive, and I remember like you get kind of like you, you head back to your body, and it's the same, but it's not. It's very distinct. And I found myself wondering, like, you know, if you die in the Shadowlands, does, are you dead? Because you're already dead. You were dead the first moment you got in there, but you're bodily there. So maybe that's, you know, maybe that's the whole idea is you don't actually leave because your body died in the Shadowlands, so your spirit just goes to where you were, and there you are, dead, so you just get back in? I don't know. That That's almost Titan-esque in that regard, because, like, if you think about it, like, how many yeah. how many times have we had souls being crammed into a vessel, and that's how it, it, like, it functioned, or it stayed around? Are we just essentially vessels for whatever anima we're carting around with us? I don't know. That's, that's one of the things I think that will be part of this expansion that I'm so interested in seeing. Um, I do think to a certain degree that every expansion has its, its cool reveals and it's things that it didn't tell us that we wanted it to tell us. I think battle for Azeroth has done a lot in that regard where it's, it's, there's certain things that I'm just absolutely dying to know and didn't learn. And so I'm hoping that we get at least a little bit on, like there's some stuff I want them to continue from battle for Azeroth into, uh, shadowlands, like for instance, the whole Bolvar thing. But one of the things I want them to do, I really want to, them to work on, is this whole idea of what happens when we die. Like, where, what is the Shadowlands exactly? Why are we there? What is it doing? That's something, I mean, it's the whole expansion is about that, so I'm hoping, but we'll see what they do. Yeah, and I think it's going to be a little bit more than just, quote-unquote, engine of death. And we, we've said that a bunch, but like I think it's going to be bigger and grander and scheme than that. Or at least well, I, I hope it will I, be. I don't even think we're seeing the all whole of the Shadowlands. I think we're seeing four no. or five places well, they, in it. But I don't think we're seeing the whole thing. They flat out said that though too. Like we're only seeing a handful, at least right up front. We might see more and more realms might be introduced as the expansion moves on, but we're seeing such a small percentage of it. And all the interviews that I've seen, all the the uh, things that they've posted about it, they've said that these are just a handful. 
possibly the the most relevant uh, or powerful to us, but definitely just a handful. All right, moving on. 6,000 asked, so we stopped the Burning Legion, the Black Dragonflight, the Infinite Dragonflight, the Horde twice, the Lich King, and all the old gods with the coming patch. So, like, what is left that has any roots in Warcraft lore? Galakrond, Elune, are we running light on expansion fodder, or are there some other directions they can take it? You want to go first, or you want me to go first? Go for it. Well, first off, you didn't put the Alliance on there, so we maybe we'll have to stop the Alliance at some point. Um, but the Infinite Dragonflight didn't exist until the Burning Crusade. Um, the Horde, obviously, you know, the Lich King, Warcraft 3. The Old Gods, technically, the Old Gods didn't exist until Warcraft. They don't. The, nobody says and mentions a single one of the old gods in any of the Warcraft games. Same with Titans. Not, what? Yeah, the Titans didn't get mentioned. I think they get mentioned really briefly as like things you can like. There's spells that that reference them, um, but I don't think there's a lot of explanation as to what they are. Uh, my point is just a lot of that stuff you're mentioning doesn't really come from Warcraft. It comes from World of Warcraft. Um, Elune. Don't think Elune gets mentioned more than maybe once or twice in Warcraft Three, if that. I don't even. It, I don't. I think maybe she gets mentioned very briefly, like blessings of Elune and all that stuff. Yeah, and even um, then, she's just references like an, an aspect of the light, really, in those games. Galakrond, I don't think existed before uh, Wrath of the Lich King. I think he, the first time we heard about him was when we go upon his bones in the Dragon Blight. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's there's plenty of stuff like we haven't seen the Dragon Isles yet. They got mentioned a long time ago, and they haven't come up. We don't know what they are or where they are. Um, for that matter, the Burning Legion isn't done, so they could come back. The Black, the black Dragonflight's kind of, that's a whole thing with, with uh, I want to say Nefarian, but that's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Prince Boy, Rathion. Yep, and that's, that's a big thing, thing about what's coming up. The Infinite Dragonflight, I don't know why you're saying we stopped them. We, we you know, killed a time-traveling dragon at one point in time. That doesn't mean he can't still show up and do stuff to us. He travels in time. He could keep coming around forever indefinitely. He could go back and forth through time, and he could keep. We could keep running into him indefinitely. Murzon could attack us, you know, in the next expansion. That's the whole thing with you dealing with time travelers. Sure, you know where his end point is, but you don't know all the stuff he did in the meantime. And not only that, but like not just time travelers, but the ability to now we know crack into alternate dimensions or alternate oh, yeah, timelines too. Yeah, there's that too. Um, and the old gods, we don't. You know, when we we're going to be oppo opposing his off, we have no idea how that's going to end exactly. And even if we do stop him, we've just proved that the Titans couldn't hold them. You know, the Titans made all these prisons to hold these guys, and they all eventually got broken into or weakened. Thanks to us, in at least one case. Um, yep. Actually, I guess technically speaking, it was Cho'Gall who did the other two, and he was you know the fault of the old horde. So, you know, go mortals there too. And, you know, that leaves the Void Lords as well and anything, any other old gods they might have sent here. Or, you know, for that matter, we now know that if you take a bunch of old god stuff into a laboratory and study it long enough, you will make your own old god. Because mm -hmm. that's what happened with Gahoon. So who knows what horrible stuff is in Titan laboratories out there somewhere? You know? We, we still don't know where Oldorus is or yeah. what it is. Like, was that it? Was that Oldorus that had Nazoth in it? There's nothing in it says it's Oldorus. See, and that's we, a... And and you bring up a couple interesting points there too. Like we've we've done a lot of uh, planet hopping. We've done a lot of like weird interactions with some other races that you know six thousand that you you don't mention. Like ethereals are still a weird race, right? Like not all of them are friendly. Not all of them are good. Some of them are void. Some of them consumer. are nuts. Some yeah. of them are absolutely nuts. There's the ones that we've encountered in Karazhan that uh, seem unaffiliated with anybody. Uh, that definitely are hostile towards us. We don't know what they're doing or what they're up to. We know that their home planet was, you know, curse-bloated and lovely, lovely void stuff. We know that old gods were, at least as we've been described to them, symptomatic of the void touching the prime material plane, being flung into, you know, this universe, so to speak. The void's still out there. Uh, yeah, we stopped the Black Dragonflight. We don't know what's going to happen in the future with that, what's going to happen with, you know, we know Rathion... And this is some spoiler stuff that, that, that we've talked about very, very briefly. We know that there's going to be a Rathion encounter. I'm not going to go too deep into it. We know that there's an encounter in the next uh, the next raid tier. That means that 
you know, we thought Rathian is incorruptible. Maybe he's not. Maybe that means that we're not done with the Black Dragonflight. We also have the other Dragonflights, which have proven that they can be corrupted. In Legion, Ysera was corrupted pretty easily and taken over. That could happen to more of those flights. What happens if the Lifebinder gets corrupted? What happens, you know, we've, we've seen Murazond, as you've pointed out. We know that they can be moved from their original path. And so well, those heck, could what be... If, here's the thing, too. What if the Dragonflights decide they're not taking this? Yeah. Because they've been made, they've been made, you know, they're going to go extinct. They're going to die out. What if they don't want to? Mm-hmm. What if they decide, no, we're going to find a solution. We're going to all come together and we don't care what it costs. And interesting. We don't care what the lessons we can go through. And I was going to say, and interesting enough, you brought up Nefarian. He was already doing those experiments. He was Absolutely looking. Was. He was looking at reproduction in particular. If you look at all those old dungeons, all those old raids, you know they kept Alex Straza in captivity for breeding purposes. Essentially, they were studying how to fix a problem that wasn't a problem yet. Maybe they got tipped off by Murazon. Maybe they got a, a beat on it, like. Yo, you're gonna lose all your power. You're not gonna be able to have kids anymore. You might want to get well, on. For that. that matter, they you know the whole idea of breeding the chromatic dragonflight is something that's come up a few times. We've had the chromatic dragons. Uh, what if that becomes something they try and do again? Mix all the dragonflights. We now know there are other dragonflights to mix in too. Yep. Now that we have the nether flight. This, that... Yeah, the nether ones, the twilight ones, the ones, the storm peaks ones. I forget what to call them. The stormheart. Storm. I... I think so, but they're, they're you know, the, the, lightning the dragons. big chin guys. The giant chins. You know them. Huge chins. Yeah. But so, I think... Um, no, go ahead. I was going to say, I think the point is, like, it. yeah, we, we may have exhausted what was already established in the basic Warcraft RTS games, but we did that a long time ago. We've been... We've moved past that, and everything at this point is self-feeding, essentially, from the games. Yeah, there are little threads here and there that can be picked up on. But there's so much more that could be experienced or explored. Even the idea of just other worlds. Like, the Titans didn't just monkey with only, like, world souls. They monkeyed with other planets. Like, they, they tinkered with them. That's why Draenor even existed. Exactly. Because a, a Titan came by, noticed it was unstable, and on his way to do something else that was more important, he took, like, five minutes and created a giant elemental thing to try and fix it. He was like, you go do that. Um, I've got things yeah. to do. So, it, and that's the kind of thing Titans did. They just, you know, monkeyed around creation at their whim. And if it worked, great. And if it didn't, oh well. And we don't know how many worlds out there that they've done that with. and Or if that's going to become crashing back to haunt us in, the in you know, the future. There, there are, are at least four worlds that we, we came into contact with during Legion that exist. They're out there somewhere. They're not destroyed by the Legion because we stopped that from happening. Mm-hmm. And they have life on them. You know, at least four that we could go to, that we could explore, that could be as big and as like varied as Azeroth and have all sorts of stuff on them we don't know anything about. And, that's that's at least four. And the the other one that I keep bringing up all the time, and I'm just going to, I'll say it again, is Koresh. It's not exactly exploded. We've seen it. We saw a void tendril wrapped planet during the last expansion, during Legion, while we were in Astromancer's lair. He was moving us all over that galaxy, and that was absolutely Koresh. And that's still there. We could uh, we can spend a whole bunch of time on that planet, and they're not have any idea what we're going to encounter. There's there's so much potential here. But Plus, and this is something that I've always wanted to bring up. Just because Sargeras has been stopped doesn't mean that the demons are gone. Oh yeah, it means that they're not. They don't have a central controller right now. That Atherzine are still out there. You could run into yeah, you could run into a whole bunch of demons. They could, you know, they could form themselves into one of the things that they did when they were on Mardun is they formed warbands. The Ulithesh, the, the harvester, had a demon in it named Ulithesh. Mm-hmm. And Ulithesh was like one of Sargeras' greatest enemies. He was one of those, no, we're not going to join you. We're not going to serve you. We're going to fight. And he got housed. He got put in a, sta- in, a, in a scythe for it. There's there's a lot of stuff out there that could happen to the Legion. They could fragment into all these different warring groups of demons, just like they were kind of doing. Illidan made his own Illidari. Illidan made his own group of demons that, that were serving him. It's possible like that for that to happen on a cosmic scale. It could be hundreds, thousands of them and they won't be as dangerous as the Legion, but they're still plenty dangerous. 
especially if they find a new world with like new power sources to draw from and became become different. And that's just one thing I'm coming up with just now talking about the lore. There's a ton of stuff that came in. The original Warcraft lore, the original Warcraft game lore is orcs served demons and came and invaded the world. Yep. And that's it. That's the only menace. It's orcs versus humans. That's that's it. Think about all the stuff they've added later. Uh, the, even just like the expansion of the light. I mean, originally, we, and we've talked about this in the past too, like concepts like the light and the void and, and shadow magic and all that stuff, it's all been expanded from these really simple ideas that were essentially, yep, there's light, there's darkness, end of story, let's move on. Everybody serves the light, yep. everybody serves the darkness. It, it's gotten so much bigger. I think I think circling back, I think the, the, the meat of the answer here is that there is a ton of potential and a ton of things that have been introduced that are yet to be explored or could come back to play a factor in the future endeavors that we're about to partake in. Without, that's not even They wouldn't even need to add anything new to do that. They can add new stuff. They can make up new stuff whenever they want. The entire, Warcraft 3 is considered the best of the RTS, mm-hmm. and a huge chunk of that game was invented for that game. White oh, yeah. Elves, invented for that game. Kalimdor, invented for that game. The World Tree, invented for that game. All that stuff was invented for that game. I'm pretty sure that Kill Jaden and in Archimonde and Sargeras were essentially invented for that game. Sargeras was kind of in the first one. Uh, he gets mentioned. He gets mentioned a lot more in the second one. Yeah, Sargeras um, was more like a representation of like the the quote unquote devil in the first game, and then they expanded was, that. Yeah, in the first game, like they they actually even say God. In the yes. first games, like we serve God, and later on they're like, "Oh, we better change that to the light." So yeah, can, can they take this in other directions? Absolutely, they can. Yeah. So moving on, we have a question from Flanagan. We've had a few questions from Flanagan. Keep them coming. Uh, question for the podcast: I was going through Alduar again last night, finishing up my legendary, and I got to thinking about stained glass windows on the way to Yog, and a few of them certainly appear to represent the old god. But I was wondering. If, as a whole, they, do they represent a full story or specific titans? Uh, yeah. I don't know. That's I've, I've always thought about that, too. Like, every time I go into Alduar uh, or any titan facility, I always look at the stained glass. Because I I think that they're one of the more interesting pieces of the game. Some of them have described races. Some of them have described, like, events. But with Alduar, that's, that's a good question because it seems... I mean, I don't want to say haphazard, but I was always wondering why there was stained glass of Yog saron in there. Well, I mean, obviously, I don't know either. They've never actually come out and said what what's going on with that. I think to a certain degree, we can we can accept that there's been some corruption of those glass windows. Sure. Um, I don't think that they would have made an image for uh, Yog saron I think that to a degree, some of them have been twisted by him. I don't get, like, for instance, there's one of a dude who's basically like a mermaid. Yeah, uh, we've seen a few of those, haven't we? Kind of, yeah, we've never actually seen the mermaid, though. I mean, I, I don't I, I don't think we can really make a lot of decisions as to what those windows are supposed to be. Like, I know that they exist, and they mean something, or at least they probably meant something at the time. One of the interesting things to think about, too, is if you go to the, the Tomb of Sargeras, uh, which is originally the Temple of Elune, it was built, obviously, it's a Titan facility. Uh, for one thing, it looks just like all the other Titan facilities. Although they all look distinct. The the, the Mogul ones look different than the ones in Northrend. But they have a certain, a certain Titan-esque flair to them. Yeah. But but more importantly, the Pillars of Creation, there's pillar, there's like plinths for each of the Pillars of Creation right there inside the temple. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the temple's purpose was to direct the power of the Pillars of Creation when they were being used to, to create or recreate Azeroth. And the, the temple has images of a being that look like a night elf. Many of them. Yeah. Despite the fact that night, we know night elves didn't come into being until much later than this place was made. So we're night, we're night elves. Night elves always believe they're made in a loon's image. We know that one of the pillars of creation is the tier of a loon. Does that mean that they were made in a loon's image? Did a loon make them like, I mean, it would go along with the whole idea of a loon lives in the well of eternity and shaped their evolution. You know, the, the, the idea that they, the dark trolls were transformed into night elves. Why would that have happened? I don't know. I, I have no idea. And I think that that has something to do with the images in Old War of like the little babies and the, the mer people. It, it kind of might tell you what 
Ulduar's purpose was. Because you got to remember, originally these places were all built on a single joined continent. Like Northrend and Ulduar, and then down in the south, the Mogu ones, the Mogu facilities, and, you know, Oldaman over in the Eastern Kingdoms. And, on, you know, Ankaraj was originally a Titan facility that got corrupted. It was connected to the ones in Oldham, and Oldham obviously itself. They were all on the single continent. They were all part of a network, like the, the ones that exist, uh, Old Deer, yep. over in, in um, the Zandalari areas. And the Zandalari Mountain itself, which is obviously part of a great lock that was part of a Titan facility. All of this stuff was on one single continent. So just because Northrend is a giant frozen place up in the you know north doesn't mean that when it was built, it was in the north, or at least not so northerly. And it would have been that there's, there's coast off of the coast of Northrend to the north. There's, a, there's an ocean up there. That ocean would still have existed when, Oldham, when Ulduar was originally built. And right now, if you look at where Ulduar is, Ulduar is pretty close to the water. We don't know if it was back then or not. It probably was, though. And so w was Alduar originally designed to facilitate something in the water? What was it doing? You know, what, what was it for? What was its purpose? Because it was repurposed to hold the Titan, but that's not ne necessarily what its first, not the Titan, the old god, sorry. But that's not necessarily what its first purpose was, because remember, they were going to destroy the Titans. I mean, the old gods. That's what they were out, they were out to do. They only stopped when they actually did kill one. And realized and that said, it wasn't the end result that they, they expected. Ooh, this is bad. This is really yeah. bad. Oh, God. What do we do? Oh, we need a new plan. New plan. Um, containment. We'll contain them. And then they built, like, Aldir was apparently built to study them. So what was Alduar's purpose? What was it really for? Was it just to hold the old god? It doesn't seem like it. It's got, like... Each of the keepers up there has their own place inside Ulduar. And they're also they're Ulduar. almost like mini biomes too that they live in. Like it's not just like, you know, a room off of a mansion or something like that or or a laboratory. These are like mini biomes, biomes that we find on Azeroth. Like they're they're full sections, right? There's like yeah, Freya has her like natural like her jungly woodsy place. Um, Thorm has his cold place. Not Thorm. Uh, Hodir has his like Arctic base. Um, Thorm has his you know mountainous fortress slash amphitheater for fighting. Um, obviously, there's an enormous area that's devote, devoted to Mimiron. Mimiron's place is enormous. Like he has the spark of imagination in all the area around it. He's got a ton of mountain. <laughs> yeah, and you you ride in a tram to get there. I mean, and that's one of the things that we never really think about is how far does that tram go. You know, and keep in mind, Ulduar also had the Halls of Stone and Halls of Imagination, and originally the Halls of Valor. Yep, were all part of Ulduar. So Ulduar was clearly something important. It was like a seat of power, and it was a. It feels like it was the R and D lab, or at least Mimiron's part was the R and D lab, and the rest of the rest of the Titan Forge there all had a section that was devoted to what they did. So what what was the purpose of those stained glass windows? The stained glass windows are on their way to Yog Saron's containment area. Yeah, because I don't what, think there's any there's any in the the terrace that overlooks the Yog Saron area. It's just the there's a lot of down. broken there's broken stuff and there's like there's stuff on the ceilings, but doesn't exactly the same thing. But the ones most people are talking about, when they talk about Alduar, are the ones on the way to Yog, and that area would have been the way to where Yog was contained originally. So here's something so, I've been yeah I was gonna, here's something I've been wondering about this for a while too and just Titan facilities in general and Aldir sort of re almost reinforced this for me a little bit because of the level of corruption that we saw there. Titan facilities almost come across as if they themselves are living entities, not necessarily just architectural structures that were built or machines that were built and set into motion. They almost seem like they can be affected or that they can change themselves in a manner to suit whatever the current situation is, whether that's corruption or something else. And I always wondered if the stained glass were essentially not necessarily glass, but maybe a set of instructions. Because if you look at it, even when you're like deep underground, there's light coming from them. It's not, it, these aren't literally sitting and, and facing the outside in some cases. They're, they're built into stone, hard stone. And it looks like almost sunlight's coming through it. I'm wondering if they were almost like instructional 
panels for what you needed to do. Because like we were talking about with uh, the Temple of Elun, you see those those night elf images, but you see them doing stuff with the pillars of creation. It's not just a random night elf. They're doing something. So I'm wondering if it was originally, maybe it was a troll. And then as the night elves evolved into night elves, the facility rearranged itself or the glass rearranged itself to suit the image of the of the creatures that would be utilizing it. Because that almost it, seems like something the Titans would do too. The reason that I don't buy that is because of Old War, where they have representation of the various races of Azeroth, including a night elf and a torrent. Like, why would they change into specifically a night elf and a torrent? It's fair, but also you made an interesting point about what if 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 Alduar was a research and development facility, and we we're coming to it ages after it was built. It could just be cataloging all the changes that have occurred too. Is maybe because all these Titan facilities? I can't dispute that that's possible. And we we've we have some reason to believe that all the Titan facilities, like you said, were connected, but not just physically. When we talk with Mother in the Heart Chamber, and we talk with. Um, the heart maiden, maiden of vitality, she's checking the status of all of these other facilities. They're connected. She knows what they are. And it's not just, you know, oh, it's I'm connected by a wire. It's they're tapped into each other. Sharing of information is definitely something that could happen, especially if those facilities had maidens, which we know they did. Let me put it this way, though. When you go to the Zandalari facilities, there are titanic watcher types that are guarding them that are shaped like Zandalari trolls. Mm -hmm. and have been shaped like Zandalari trolls. Um, if you go to the ones in, in the uh, Mogu areas, there's a Noroshen who is shaped like a Mogu. Mm -hmm. And obviously Mogu are descended from lesser versions of him. When you go to the ones in Older, in, in, in Oldham, there are the, you know, the, I can't, the Tolvir all around there that the things inside are shaped like. I don't think these places change. I think they change things. Possible. Um, I think the stone, the stained glass in, in the Temple of Sargeras looks like a, a night elf using the four pillars. And it looks like almost the same night elf. But here's an interesting uh, thought offshoot of that, though. We've never seen a, a night elf watcher. Except that that's, that is an interesting point, isn't it? Except we've kind of seen one. Uh, we've seen one holding the pillar of creation in stained glass. But we've never seen is, we've never seen an active that, unit, right? We've never seen an active unit, but we've never seen an active unit for a lot of them. We have seen human ones, or at least or, uh, I guess Vrykul slash yeah. yeah. We've seen like here's one though. We've never seen dwarves ones. We've never seen earthen ones, even though we know we have the earthen and the earthen became dwarves and trogs, and we know we have mechanomes, but you know, so we have gnomes that we've seen that. There's quite a few, the giant ones, like Hodir. What, why is, is, like, is Hodir, like, what is he, like, what are his descendants? Are they just the Frost Giants? There's there's a lot going on we don't know. There's a lot we don't, I don't think that the facilities are that morphic, but it is an interesting point to, to compare to something else. Because when we go to the Exodar, we're told that Naru construction is effectively alive. Yep. And Naro technology, it's a living thing. The Exodar, it's flight capable, but it's damaged. And it it's almost as if the ship itself, without the presence of the Naru that once drove it, when they killed the Naru, the Exodar seems to lack its ability to leave now. Whereas before we were told it was capable of leaving. Then then it lost, uh, I can't remember which one died. Was it Oros? Yeah, it was Oros. When Oros dies, uh, the Exodar suddenly is not capable of leaving. And they have to build another ship. That's something I've been thinking about a lot. I, I honestly think that if the tomb of Sargeras had had images of a troll when people walked in, and keep in mind that when we walk into places now, the stained glass doesn't change that fast. Correct. We've been going in and out of Olduar this whole time, and the stained glass hasn't changed. Uh, the, the statues and so forth haven't changed. So they've stayed the way they were for quite some time. If, if night elves had walked into that place and saw a troll they would not have responded well. They would not have followed it. They would not have respected it. Because Night Elves do not buy that argument. We, we know it's true. The Night Elves do not. The Night Elves do not accept that they descended from trolls. 
Like if you told like if you said that to Taronda, you'd be lucky oh, especially to kick you out. Yeah. So that's why I don't think it was originally a troll. I think the Night Elves have been shaped for a very long time. I think that they've been turned into what they are. I think the fact that they venerate the Temple of Elun and that that is the original Temple of Elun in Suramar, I think that's very important because it was right on the Well of Eternity. It was on the other side of the Well of Eternity from Zinashara. Yep. And that's important because remember they had the legends that Elun would go descend into the, te- to the Well of Eternity. And that's like, someday we, we've really got to find out what the deal is with Elune. Yeah. Especially since they're now saying, you know, why did Elune have the causes to happen? Why did Elune allow it? Is, what is Elune doing? What's going on with that? That's, but that's unrelated. The point is that in terms of that stained glass, I don't think it's anything as simple as just telling the story of any particular thing. I think, I think you're on to something. I, I don't know if it's as simple as they places just change in response to whatever, but I definitely think the old God's presence can and does change them. And I think, and I think we've been proven that between Aldir and Alduar. If you just look at them, like look at Aldir, and look think, at the fleshy corruption that goes through it. Look at the look at um, the fell corruption in the ta- in the tomb of Sargeras. Oh yeah, as soon as you go that lower, like it, yeah, it's it's affecting or it hell, is, absolutely. On Karaj was a Titan facility. Yep, and now it's Spiderhaven. Look at it now. Yeah, ugh, not yeah, Spiderhaven and On Karaj. Look at um, I was actually trying to say uh, Anka Hut. No, Ankaraj. You, you said Ankaraj. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, Sulfid. Sulfid. But you look at if you actually go into Ankaraj, it's just there's mucus everywhere. There's, there's flesh. stuff everywhere. The few stone things that are left that, that remind you of Titan construction are few and far between. Like the, the Emperor's chamber, the two the twin emperors are standing in, and where Cthulhu himself is are the oh, only yeah. places that really look Titan. And if you look at AQ, like AQ20, um, it's the AQ same thing. A lot of stuff. Yeah, AQ twenty definitely looks more tightney in terms of like all the stuff but, that's floating and flying around. Well, I was also going to say definitely though, corrupted. But as I was gonna say, you can see almost better there than you can in the actual raid, like this encroachment of corruption. Because yeah, you can definitely see more Titan uh, items, like more Titan architecture, but you can see these lines of like flesh, like sort of engulfing it you can see these clear delineations of it so i still remember every time that i i do that place i remember that the fight with the osirian the unscarred where you go up into that chamber and you have to have the thing come up out of the sand and click it on to zap him yep, and i always find myself wondering what was this supposed to do yeah what was its original <laughs> like, purpose what did the titans build this for like what was, did the osirian like recharge at it at once upon a time is that what it's it's a, like you know screwing him up because it's trying to reset him back to factory standards what's going on here that's one of the things i've always wondered but that's the kind of thing that you have to think about in terms of the old gods and their effect on titan structures um or other things i mean because we just mentioned the fell from the tomb of sargeras is obviously changing it you find yourself wondering like could other stuff change it you know besides the old gods and the fell but i don't know I, that's that's not something I have an answer to. I definitely think there's there's a story to be told about what Old War's original purpose was, or for that matter, what a lot of their original purpose was. Because mm-hmm. Oldaman wasn't built to hold the discs of Organon. They brought them there. Yeah, why was it there to begin with? Yeah, what what are these places for specifically? We know the engine of the makers is in in the, the Mogu stuff, and we know to a certain degree the Mogu stuff was built to facilitate like the shaping of the world after the old gods were beaten. What, what was the purpose exactly? Why did, the, what were the Mogu trying to do that they, they lost sight of or that the, you know, their, their watcher stopped communicating with them and they freaked out. There's, there's a lot there. Well, speaking of which, this actually leads into our next question, uh, which is uh, Rossi came up with something that I have been tossing around in my head for a few weeks. Just not have had time to write. Uh, I am a USPS flavored Amazon drone. Uh, thank you for your service, sir. <laughs> uh, he suggested trolls are Titan forged or possibly curse of fleshed. If so, what stony beans are they from? Nothing on my mind seems to fit the bill. I like where he was going with it, but it's like resolving quantum and relativistic physics. A huge piece of the puzzle seems to be missing. Why didn't the Mogu, notably Lei Shen, recognize them as Titan forged? Maybe the Forge of Origination has had been fired once, and the trolls are just survivors. And that's from Easy Target, Troll Hunter on Oldman. 
Well, the guy I was referring to were the ones, they're Titan Watchers that are shaped like Zandalari that you see uh, in the various Zandalar zones, especially when you're doing the Oldowar quest on Horde. Um, I forget his name, I'm sorry, but he exists, and there's a few others like him. It would be from even the them, even the even the embalmer even the embalmer is a great example and that's one you can see like right now that is essentially a titan construct like a almost like a watcher. But yeah, I don't. So, go ahead. I'm just saying that that those are you know they exist they're in the game that's who I was referring to. Um, it the thing is is the Mogu and Li Shen very well may have recognized them as titan forged. That didn't mean they thought they were equals. The Mogu think they're superior to everybody because the Mogu are the ones who figured out how to revert the Curse of Flesh. So, okay, they're Titan Forged. That means I'll allow them to be in my palace, but they're not they're not as good as Mogu. We Mogu are the true ones. I mean, Li Shen didn't understand how corrupt he really was. Li Shen went into a place and demanded that his god respond to him, and when his god told him to go away, attacked his god injured his god because he attacked him from surprise and ripped out his god's heart. Glishen didn't see how fleshy he was. He didn't understand how full of rage and, and bitterness he was. He thought, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make us the way we're supposed to be, never once realizing he'd been too far gone. And so the Mogu he created with the with his reversion of the Curse of Flesh it's much like what what uh, Deathwing was doing. Deathwing was doing the exact same thing to the Tolvir. You know, Deathwing's like, oh, I'll, I'll I'll make you perfect. I'll fix this. I'll turn you back to unyielding stone. But the first thing that they did was start serving him, not what the Titans wanted. Yep. And that's exactly what Li Shen did. Li Shen's, you know, Li, Li Shen's use of Animus, and we're going to talk about that again in the future. I'm promising you that it's going to tie oh, into the Oh, it absolutely will. His use of animus to revert the curse of flesh was an abomination. It was an aberration. So he didn't recognize him as Titanforge or he didn't care. Just like he wouldn't have cared had, you know, he didn't care about, you know, humans are Titanforged. We showed up, he didn't care. Yep. Dwarves are Titanforged. They took other Titanforged because the, the Grummels are are engineered from Trogs, which he despised, despite the fact that Trogs are descended from Earthen, who are Titanforged. And I think that's an interesting... I was going to say, I think it's an interesting point, though, too, is, like, not everything that's been converted with the Curse of Flesh has to, like, descend from something that wasn't it originally, either. And we see that a lot, too. Like, you're talking about, you know, humans, Rykrul, uh, dwarves, and Earthen, like, things like that. Like, we're very, very similar. It's entirely possible, to sort of loop back to the, to the root of the question, that trolls were always just trolls. That trolls were just stone trolls at some point. And we don't have any record of it. We don't have anything that says that they weren't. But they could have very easily have just, that's what they were. And like you said, we have watchers. We have um, items that indicate that they were crafted in that image. And the other watchers we've seen, like we talked about earlier, were crafted in very specific images. So why would they create troll watchers or troll titan constructs if trolls weren't a titan forged race? It would seem to track with everything that we've known so far of what they've done or how they've sort of arranged everything. So I could see them not necessarily being any more. It could not be more complicated than that. They were once stole just stone, just like the Tolvir were, and then stopped being stone. And it was happened so long ago that everybody's forgotten. Although I do want to... interesting. Well, one thing before you do. Sure. We also notice the Zandalari are very good at making constructs. Very good at making constructs. They're also upright versus their brethren, which I find interesting. Like, are they upright because they're closer to the stone-forged past? Or titan-forged past? It's interesting to think about it because, like, the other people who are really good at making constructs are dwarves. And Mogu. Yeah, and Mogu. And both of those are Titan Forge groups. And for that matter, the uh, Drost, who are a converted form of Rykul, are also really good at making constructs. So it seems to be the kind of thing Titan Forged are good at doing, animating these constructs in some way. And I, I find that fascinating because it, it, and we know for a fact that the, the trolls, even after they were 
you know, trolls as we know them, at least the Zandalari, were crafting uh, new constructs. Because if you go through, why can't I think of the name of it? The uh, King's Rest. If you go through there, there's an entire section about how these constructs were created after this cur- the corrupted blood curse was like this plague was hitting them they made new ones they made brand new ones even when you're doing the quest that um you're trying to reignite one of the uh watcher-esque sort of creatures like it tells you that it what you know it wasn't created by a titan it was created by zandalari so i think there i think there's some meat on those those bones there for that one although i think the the other thing that i'm curious about is the question about the the forge of origination We've talked about this in the past, and whether or not it's it's ever been fired, and I'm kind of curious about that. Well, we know it was fired once. Well, we don't know the extent of it, right? Well, yeah, we do because it's it was used to destroy the area around Aldum, and it was used basically as a test fire to prevent the Zandalari and Mogu from taking it. And that's something we often forget. The Zandalari and Mogu made a move on Aldum. They tried to take it, and it was when. The the, uh, the native the, you know the native Tolvir realized we can't stop them. There's too many of them. They're too powerful. They fired the Forge of Origination and just killed everything. It just rendered the whole area sterile. It's the reason that Oldham and parts of uh, Tanaris are effectively just sand, because everything they sterilized it down to the bedrock, and the Zandalari forces got got wiped out. That's why the Zandalari were reeling afterwards. They were like in a position of oh we're we're screwed here. And that happened before the Mogu, the, the rebellion against the Mogu, the Pandaria, the Pandaria rebellion. It was before that. Um, so there's that was a that was a small fire too. That wasn't like turn the whole thing up to, to max and go. That was just like okay, we're gonna fire it on the lowest setting, womp, and every like all the life around it just got taken out. And I and I think that's the interesting part of it is it wasn't a because we always think of of sort of that that Alduar moment, right? When we're we're sitting there with the Constellar and we're sitting there and we talk about, you know, reoriginating the entire planet. And so whenever we talk about the Forge of Origination, there's sort of that mentality that it's an all or nothing thing. It's not. It can be targeted. Uh, it's something that they could pinpoint and sort of wipe it, scrub it clean. And I think that's something we we tend to forget a little bit because, like you said, they tried to make a move on it. They got wiped out. It was Scrub down to the to the the, the bedrock there. Where where else would they possibly? They could have also done that at other points in time too. We don't know. We don't know if they can aim it. Is the problem <laughs> fair? If if, the, if all they can do is just destroy more and more of the planet, then it is of limited utility. It just goes down to okay, do we have to burn the entire like the entire hemisphere, or can we just burn half of it? How much of this continent can we leave alive? I mean, we don't know. Uh, but it is interesting to think about and the, the whole idea of the you know where the whether or not trolls were you know created that way or not that's i don't know it just seems likely it just seems like something when we've started to see you know troll when when i started to see troll constructs that look like trolls mm-hmm. like when i saw the the watcher types from alder then i was like oh, okay and that's just starting to make me wonder so I hope that answers that question. Uh, but we're probably going to be wind up talking more about constructs and and with the the titans and reorigination probably coming up because I have a nasty suspicion that what's going to happen in the future expansion is going to lead us back down those roads. Uh, I think there's going to be a link there somewhere. Uh, so let's move on to the next one, which is, hey Joe and Matt, good work on your first show together without Ian. I'm sure everyone missed her. We do. Uh, you two probably the most. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty accurate. Uh, I asked a question a couple months back in the Patreon Discord channel, and I think it might have been missed, so I th- uh, thought since you were asking for questions, I would ask again. I can't quite remember the context since it was so long ago, but you were talking about Varian and his sword. It might have been after we got to the end of the war campaign cinematic and Anduin gave Sarfang his sword. What is the significance of Sarfang being able to split Varian's sword, and why can't Anduin? That's, uh, and this is from Nightchild, uh, Night Elf Druid on Sarfang. Uh... That's a good question. First off, before we talk about that, we need to talk about Shalator and Elamain. Um, Shalator and Elamain were two separate swords that were both Night Elven that were given to the two Varian Rins 
when they were separated. Um, they were a pair from the beginning. They were meant to be, they were forged during the War of the Ancients. They were used by two twins, uh, Vorlan and Lovalon. And those two swords, uh, Shalator means Shadow Render, and Elamain. Oh, bloody heck, Elamain. I can't remember what Elamain means, uh, but it means something. It means Reaver. It means Reaver. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Wowpedia, for me remembering <laughs> that finally. Uh, I went and looked it up while I was trying to remember it. Um, but each of the gem, each of the swords had a, a colored gem in the in the hilt in the blade. It's like a, I think Elamain Elamain had a red gem, Chaltar a blue gem. These were not one weapon; they were two, and that's worth bringing up because the one the sword we see now, Chalamain, is the result of what happened when. Anixia tried to kill one of the two Varian Rins. She'd separated off all of Varian's aggressive tendencies, his will to, to conquer, his his prowess in battle. She, she'd split that off, and she intended to kill it, essentially, and the, the remainder of Varian would, would not have his will. It's You remember that Star Trek episode where Kirk got separated in a transporter accident? I do. Remember how they they had like the evil one and the good one, but the evil one was the one who make could could make decisions. Yep. And the good one was kind of a milksop because he just he didn't have the will. That's what she was trying to do. She was trying to separate off his will and then kill it, so the, what was left would be easily controlled. And she did separate them, but the will one got away, and went off to fight in arenas. This is one of the weirdest storylines World of Warcraft has ever oh, did. Yeah. Um, but when Anixia tried to finally kill off the willpower one, she was like, fine, I'm going to just kill you here and attacked him with magic. The, the quote unquote good one jumped in the way and the two of them got fused back together because it destroyed the binding enchantment that she used to separate them in the first place. But since they were each holding one of the two swords, the two swords got fused into one. And that's why Varian alone could seem to, Varian wasn't quite joined back together all the way, right? That's one of the problems that if you read Wolfheart, you've read Wolfheart, right? Oh, absolutely. One of the things about Wolfheart is that the 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 worgen allowed him to go through the same rite that they went through, and it allowed him to effectively reconcile himself to himself. Before that, he hadn't really been rejoined properly, and he only really gained it by essentially accepting that. The, the wolf ancient Lagosh or Goldrin and he were somehow the same. They were like, they, it's never quite clear if was he its chosen avatar, was he its champion, was he just touched by it, but the two of them were somehow connected and that all that stuff was related to it. When he used the swords, he could pull them apart and use them both because he knew how to use two swords at once. I don't know if the only reason that Anduin's never done it might simply be he doesn't know how to fight with two swords at once. See, and I, I, I kind of went a different way with it. I always wondered a little bit about that because what you're saying is is absolutely, you know, it's accurate that it was this weird reconciling thing that he had to do uh, way back when, when Varian, when he was sort of figuring out who he was now. And one thing I always remember is that when he was dealing with the spirit of Logosh, it was more you are a wolf because you have to accept your duality of nature. Like wolves, wolves fight when they have to fight, but they also are okay to, you know, survive and, and be peaceful when there's nothing threatening them and they don't have any needs that they need to have met, which is well, yeah, why. Cause if you've, if you've ever watched wolf packs, like if you ever watch a nature special and they have like the wolf, the patriarch of the wolf pack, the alpha will be laying there on the ground with his cubs climbing all over his face and head. And he'll just be like, this is fine. Is this ever going to end? Yeah, no, this yeah. is never going to stop. It's just going to keep climbing on my face, it, and they won't. They won't hurt them, no matter what. They they guard their young. They, they protect their pack, and that was kind of the thing they were going with. I think that's where they were going with Varian. He had and to become that, that. And that's what I and that's what I think a little bit too. Is he had to accept sort of his duality the same way wargans have to accept their duality, and that was sort of the whole. To me, that was sort of the whole thing, and I think that is the difference between Anduin and Sarfang. Sarfang spent the entirety of this expansion sort of reconciling who he was and what he did. He went through a very similar journey of sort of 
I, I don't want to say self-discovery, but figuring out what was important, what needed to be done, and how to make things at least right, understanding what he did wrong. It's very similar at least to me, to the journey that Varian had to go through, reconciling his anger, reconciling the horrible decisions he made. It's a very similar character arc. I actually think it's kind of inverted. Sorry, go ahead. I think, well, now that you've said that, I kind of think it's inverted. It's like Anduin had to reconcile the two sides of himself, but Sarfang didn't have to reconcile the two sides of himself. He'd reconciled a long time ago. He had to decide what to do. Fair. And that no, I because I think it's interesting because it's it's like the mirror opposite. Varian knew what he wanted to do; he just didn't know how. But Sorfang never really knew what he wanted. He always kept thinking he wanted an honorable death. It wasn't until he let go of that, he let go of the idea of you know I need to get my heroic death, and he was just like no, I just need to I need to keep going until I fix this. Uh, there's that great moment with Sarfang and Anduin where Sarfang is like. And it was like, well, you know, the horde, you know, the horde isn't all bad. And so he's like, you know, we did this, we did these horrible things, and it's never going to get fixed if we don't admit it. If we don't deal with it, it will just keep going. It's really, I think that's one of the things that's powerful about Sarfang, pulling the sword apart, because it's it's essentially him looking. You've just said the thing about the two sides of your personality. It's him using those two sides yes. as weapons. And, and I think that's a level of duality Anduin just doesn't have. I w- that, that's exactly where I was going with this, was that I don't think Anduin understands that duality yet. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and I think I think over the last couple episodes we've, we've discussed this. Anduin is very rigid and very, like, he sees one way, that's it, whether he's right or wrong. And that's sort of the end of it. And yeah, he has these moments where he recognizes he made a mistake, but then he plows ahead anyway. He hasn't reached that point where he has to sort of be balanced yet, if that makes sense. Like, he's very, I don't want to say he's one note, but as a leader, as a a person who interacts with these other leaders, he's very much inflexible he's very much like we, we talked about with like Jen like Gen Greymane and and listening to his advisors sometimes he just straight up doesn't oh that's a great that's a great suggestion I'm gonna do this anyway he hasn't reconciled that sometimes you need to be a wolf sometimes you need to be a cub he hasn't figured that out yet and I think that plays into it as well because he hasn't had that life experience he hasn't sort of had that that epiphany moment yet he's still treading a single path and I think the sword responds to that a little bit because he doesn't have sort of that conflict of self. He never had to deal with that yet. It's worth pointing out, too, that when Anduin found like one half of the sword on the broken shore, he already had the other half. Yes. They, they'd like one of one of Varian's blades came home. So Varian had split the sword and they found one half and Anduin had to go find the other half. And he, you know, he when he did find them, he he managed to reconnect them, so he could put them together, and the swords responded to him. So it's not like it is beyond possible for him to do it. He just hasn't yet. The thing is, is Anduin hasn't really accepted that he has to fight yet. No, he he, he avoids it at all costs if he can. Like he's he's done it, but. I don't think he's got that thing. Varian, Varian was very aggressive after he'd been split, and he had to realize sometimes you don't have to fight. Sometimes, and sometimes you protect. Sometimes you defend. Sometimes you don't. You know, and that's the thing that Anduin hasn't come to from the other direction yet. He hasn't said, you know, sometimes it is necessary. Even though he kind of has, like you, you see that in Battle for Azeroth, he, he, you know, he does lead this war. He does wear armor. He does go fight, but it doesn't really feel like he's made that that same mental jump yet, I, whereas like sometimes this is the right way to go and sometimes it isn't. I, I think it's a difference of this is something I have to do versus this is who I am now, if that makes sense. Like he's he's performing a task versus accepting that as king, as leader, as sort of the head of the alliance in all these regards, this is who he has to be. It's not just a job. He has to understand it. He has to accept it. He has to internalize it a little bit more. And I think that's sort of the difference. Well, yeah, I would, I would agree. I agree with that. All right. So 
I think that takes us right up to about time, which we're going to go with some final thoughts here. So we've covered a lot of stuff here. Rossi, I'm going to ask you a pretty, I don't know, basic question. With all of the Titan facilities that we were talking about, what do you think their original purposes were meant to be? Do you think that they were just research and development and containment? Do you think that they were just reorigination? Or do you think they had something more varied and more complex than than what we've seen so far? I keep wondering back to when the Titan Forged first began invading Azeroth to defeat the old gods. Because back then they thought they were just going to kill them. So we're talking Black Empire days. Yeah, they thought, we're going to just kill these guys. And they, the first thing they did was they went around the world stopping the various elemental lords. And I think to myself, is that when they built their first forward base camps that turned into the, the seeds for the various Titan facilities that they would later on confront the old gods? Because they would have had to have bases, right? Yeah, they, they would have to. They were fighting a land war against elementals. So you're fighting the elementals and you're beating them and you're binding them up. Like, you know, they defeated all of the elemental lords and bound them up somehow. And did they, did they create the old, the elemental planes before they'd actually obviously I feel like the elemental planes probably existed, but did they create the ones we, we know of like deep home and the firelands and, and, you know, did they make those before they'd even finished fighting the old gods? Cause you couldn't leave the, the elemental lords, unmolested you know what i mean you can't leave them behind you you, you got to get rid of them and obviously killing them will just send them back to the elemental plane so that they build these prisons before they even finish the war and is that what the original titan facilities were, were there for so they'd have forward camps to build these things i don't know i really don't uh i don't know i know that they would have had to like they would have had to amend their plan as soon as they killed yisraj and realized oh this is bad and we know that to a certain degree, a lot of the Titan facilities were built with the sole purpose of making Azeroth strong enough to, after its wound to survive. They were trying to channel back all that energy that otherwise would just be lost. So I don't know. I honestly, I don't know, but I feel like they had to be like multi-purpose. And I feel like their purpose had to evolve over time as they, you know, what's the old saying? Uh, no plan survives contact with the enemy. Yeah. Their plan didn't survive contact because they were just going to kill them. And then it was like, oh, we can't do that. Oh, God, abort, abort. What do we do now? Yep. So, So I don't know. I'm actually curious if we're going to get, and this is something I've been thinking about with the the new raid coming up with with going after Nazoth and sort of the things that we've been seeing about that we're going to get visions of the Black Empire. I'm wondering if we're going to start to actually see a little bit more of that because it almost seems like we're traveling back in time through Nazoth's memories of what Azeroth was like back then when the Black Empire was rampant. And it, it I'm wondering if we're going to start to see a little bit more of it. Like like you, I believe that they had to evolve over time, that these facilities, you know, they weren't originally made for containment. They were for something else, but then this was the best option that they had because if they were originally made for containment, then how did the old gods get cracked out of their prisons all these times, right? Like, it... A perfect prison, if you build it, it's almost unescapable. These don't seem like perfect prisons. These don't seem like something the Titans created specifically for that role. It feels like something that they sort of retrofitted to that goal. Well, well, to be fair, actually, no prison is inescapable. There's never been a prison that has been <laughs> escaped. I, and that fair. goes, too, for, like, zoos. It's like, one of the things that they'll tell you about designing zoos you can do a lot of work, but you can't make the zoo completely escape-proof and have it still serve its function. Like, if you want to contain something, sometimes this the, the containment it will fail. That's just one of the problems. Uh, so, I don't know. I don't know. That's interesting to think about. Like, if they... Is this a, a question of them being too afraid to kill them? I don't know. I honestly don't. But, I, I like I said, I think we're going to find out some more in the, in the coming weeks, especially with uh, the next patch coming out relatively soon at the time of this recording. So we will see, and I think we're going to get some more information there. Now, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com forward slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast, site, and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your questions answered on the podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And keep those oh, hold questions... Hold on, hold on. 
I want to interrupt here. Go ahead. I want to every. I want to say that you've done a really great job, dude. Oh, it's your first one, man. Thanks for hosting it. Because look, you just did it. You just hosted the, <laughs> your first episode of this podcast, man. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I've had I've thank had uh, butterflies in my chest the entire day. So uh, so thank you very much, and thank you for all the listeners and readers out there. Um, I I said this before, and I'll say it here just as a little thank you. All the support you're throwing at me and Rossi is much appreciated. We do miss Anne terribly. We're going to do the best we can. And every kind word you're sending us, every question you're giving us, and please keep those questions coming, whether it's on Discord or email us at, uh, I believe it's podcast at blizzardwatch.com. And make sure you specify which you know podcast you want those questions answered on. Those help us. Those help us give a direction and, and keep going and giving you those con- the content that I hope you guys enjoy. Uh, so thank you very much, and I hope everybody has a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.